This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz from Brooklyn, New York. This is Eli Shear from Margate, New Jersey. Eli, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time. So let's start with your background. Who are you, what you do, and where you're at in your career? So um, my name is Eli Shear. Um, I uh, usually reside in New York City, although I am currently broadcasting from uh, Margate, New Jersey. Uh, most recently, uh, I was the founder of New Continuum Data Centers um, and uh, United Internet Exchange, um, which is a, I guess what you'd call an edge uh, compute infrastructure platform uh, that we built in the western Chicago suburbs um, and sold to SBA Communications. Um, so I'm currently advising SBA. Uh, I'm also the uh, chairman of OpenIX, uh, the OpenIX Associ- Association, uh, which is a nonprofit um, with uh, basically um, uh, that, that's uh, designed to promote and uh, the proliferation of internet exchange points. That explains Margate. So, um, you know, the, the, uh, I've explained to you in the past one, why we started uh, this podcast and, you know, trying to create a platform for people that have had, you know, winding roads to find themselves in technology. I know a little bit uh, about your background, but I know enough to know that you did not start your career. You did not go to school um, to, to found data centers and peering points and to chair OpenIX. So can you tell us a little bit about the background, how, how somebody went from being born Eli Shear uh, to being this new, you know, OpenIX chair? You know, my, my background professionally began as an investment banker. Um, so my career out of college initially, um, you know, which was not uh, particularly, um, you know, controversial, uh, was to just take a job at an investment bank. And initially I was doing structured finance, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's basically taking up, uh, taking pools of cash flows and cutting them up um, and repricing them. Um, and so... Uh, I didn't love that. I didn't feel that I was close enough to business to really understand what was going on. Um, And so um, I made several moves throughout my career to get closer to operations. Um, So uh, initially it was to another investment bank um, uh, where I was learning about uh, companies as opposed to securities. Um, And then from there, I actually went and moved to Shanghai, China, where I lived for five years. Um, and built um, operating companies. So, so really got my hands dirty um, building businesses, um, mostly in the media space, um, but with some networking components as well. And, uh, and then I came back to the U.S., uh, again, working in finance, uh, but looking for a business to build. Um, and when I was looking for a business to build, I found a data center. Um, and this data center... Uh, was really interesting to me, um, and the more I learned about data centers and um, you know, sort of all of the things that go into a data center investment, uh, the more I became uh, convinced that this was a good place to spend my time. Um, and so 
I uh, ended up taking over this data center in the western Chicago suburbs. Um, and then, uh, you know, as I was building the data center, I, I came to the realization that um, the value in the facility was going to be enhanced by the applications that needed to be there and the applications that would need to be there was going to be dictated by the networks that resided there, both physical networks, but also logical networks. So um, I realized that, that you really needed to actively, for the sake of the real estate, really understand that aspect of it and cultivating that fiber and interconnection. Um, and so through that process, I ended up getting involved with a nonprofit uh, called OpenIX and learning about it and then realized that, you know what, not only is it good for real estate developers to distribute exchange points, uh, it's good for networks to distribute exchange points, and it's also good for consumers if they're more distributed exchange points. So really, it's like kind of a good thing, right, across the board. Um, it's, only, it's bad for people who, you know, want to hold on to it, right, and maintain the status quo. Um, but even for them, it's not necessarily bad because they still control the boatload of the interconnect because that's where the physical fiber uh, connects. And, and so the logical interconnects are all, will always be bounded at some point to the physical. So anyway, I, I, I you know, through that journey, um, you know, I've arrived at where I am today and, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, feel pretty excited about the stuff we're working on. Investment banking to media company and then an entrepreneur and then into data center. What was the turning point and, and, and what was that convincing factor for you to take on and get involved in the data center business? I mean, considering that it's an extremely technical market segment to get in, you know, relatively speaking yep. from, from your prior background. Yep. So I think I chose to get into the level of, you know, technicality. So I, I probably could have not, uh, right? Ostensibly, I could have sat back and been higher level and not really dug into it um, and just sort of put together a deal. Um, but, um, you know, I ended up, you know, in a situation where I was actually forced to, to sort of jump in, um, you know, with the, the deal I was running. Um, and so I ended up in the deep end, right, and, and sort of figuring out, okay, uh, how do we run this? What's important? And so because of that, I ended up, I think, getting exposure that I wouldn't have otherwise um, and, and uh, gaining expertise that I wouldn't have otherwise, right, because I had to make those decisions um, and, uh, you know, uh, with sort of you know, live customers and, and real workloads and um, you know, really understanding what mission critical means, right? And so, um, you know, that, that I think was great training um, for what I want to continue to do, which is uh, continue to invest in, uh, broadly speaking, in digital infrastructure. So. I mean, you talk about like on-the-job training, right? Which is, which is this, this, yeah. this bizarre world where people are like, all right, I'll take an entry-level job at some company. And, you know, they'll, they'll teach me the ropes. You found a data center, which means you found a building that happened to be a data center. And you're like, all right, let me, let me take that over and like started a data center company. And that was your first foray into it was you didn't start 
as like an engineer or selling data center services or even understanding that world, you started straight into like owning a data center. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that we, we say on the podcast a lot is just based on our generation, because we were here at kind of the beginnings of the internet, there's this lack of fear about jumping in head first because it's such an it's an industry that we kind of have seen exists so we don't have to worry about kind of barriers to entry how much of that do you think that kind of lack of fear of of moving into it had to do with just where where you were generationally in terms of just you know the existence of the industry rather than say if you decided you just wanted to get into any other industry like you know I want to start a I can't even think of anything right now but I want to start a, a fintech firm or I want to start a, a healthcare right. firm uh, or something along those lines. Right. Yeah, so so certainly. You know, if you look at anything I've done in my career, I don't operate with a ton of fear, right? Uh, I'm, uh, I believe, by and large. Who doesn't move to Shanghai on a whim? What are you talking about? Right, not on a whim, not on a whim. I, I speak Mandarin, so it was something I wanted to do, but it was, you know, certainly as I think back on it, you know, it, it, not too dissimilar from buying a data center, right? It, it sort of. Um, you know, I, I also raised a, a stack of publicly traded acquisition vehicle. I'd never really dealt with public markets before, right? Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel confident in my ability to navigate and, and sort of um, make the best decision with whatever is presented, right? So um, I guess, you know, from, from a data center standpoint, um, perhaps that's what attracted me to the industry was the fact that it, it is so opaque and you know there there's such a lack of understanding outside of this small group uh of, of what exactly goes into provisioning infrastructure and it and 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 so um because of that i sort of thought hey this is an area where there's opportunity um and and so you know not so much that I should be scared away because it's like, you know, daunting, but more that like others will be scared away. And so that's a good place for me to focus. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you got into the space and data center, I mean, from your previous background, what were some of the challenges? Uh, did you encounter like people talking down on you because you're not an electrical engineer or mechanical engineer, or you're not a networking guy? Uh, and how did you deal with it? Look, I, I try to operate with, you know, like I said, I don't operate with a lot of fear, but I try to operate with humility. Um, so while I'm confident, I try to also recognize my limitations. And, and I've never claimed to be, uh, you know, an expert in any of these fields. Um, but I think, you know, I, I am consistent and I work very hard. And so um, I think people who work with me, see that. And so I end up sort of through, you know, volunteering and getting things done and, um, you know, even operating you know, my facility and um, building the internet exchange and all of that stuff. Um, I think over time you develop some reputation, right. Um, for, you know, operating at a certain level. So um, yeah, look, I'm sure people, you know, would, would hate on me and talk behind my back and, whatever, but, um, that doesn't, doesn't really happen. Me. <laughs> no, it doesn't really feed me because, you know, it's sort of, 
I'm not, I'm not claiming to know all of these things. I'm just claiming to know how to access the best and the brightest and, and figure out how to put it all together. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really, um, that's, you know, that's the only thing. So, so yeah, look, it's, uh, entering any industry, um, you know, you're going to have those issues, right? People have been doing it a lot longer, but, you know, that's why you're, you're able to stand on the shoulders of giants or whatever the expression is and, and make progress, right? So if you were given the opportunity to go back in the future, what would be that one thing that you would do differently or tell yourself? Honestly, it's like just load up on NVIDIA. Um, just buy as much <laughs> NVIDIA as possible <laughs> when it's under 10 bucks, you know, and like... Once a finance guy, uh, always a finance guy. I, I don't know. Like, I, I personally, I don't... I don't like to live with regret either, right? So let, so me, let me rephrase the question. Possible. Let me rephrase the question. Yeah. What would you tell your younger self knowing what you know today? Start a business. Stop finance. That's what I would tell somebody. So I felt, I feel like I would, I spent a lot of time in finance where I got what I needed out of finance relatively early. Um, and so I think ultimately it's great to get exposure and to see like a wide range of industries and really understand how a lot of things fit together. Um, but I think it's not how the world actually works. And so when you get from behind a spreadsheet and actually need to be in the real world uh, with business decision makers negotiating things on timelines that they don't care about, you know, your quarter, they don't care about, right? I mean, this is a different, it, it, you know, um, it's a different level of understanding, right? So I think, you know, getting closer to business operations is, is the best thing, you know, you could do, I think. How much do you think the, uh, the fact that you had that finance background helped in terms of you being able to bridge that gap between, you know, having to learn how to operate the business and then, you know, obviously you're, you know, at your core, you enjoyed the, the realness of, of operations, but you still had to go back and deal with, you know, financing and cap tables and all the things that, you know, business owners yeah. have to deal with. Uh, how much of that background do you think uh, actually helped? For sure, a lot. For sure, right? I mean, it's, uh, I, I know, you know, enough to be dangerous about a lot of things, right? So I can, I know enough to draft a, a little contract, a little, you know, I can put the presentations together, the models together, I can do finance if I have to, but, you know, I'm not a professional finance person or a lawyer or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, those, that skill set allows me to, to, to pull it all together well. Um, I think you can get that consulting and you can get that in, in some other areas as well. Um, but, but yes, I think that, that gave me a broad skill set, a broad, you know, um, you know, set of tools to put stuff together, uh, and maybe approach things like, like you said, from the high level, right. And, and just by a, by a data center, <laughs> day one, um, start an exchange. Why not? I don't know. Well, I think you know the, the 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 one thing that that we touch on a lot um, in terms of you know the type of characteristics that that younger folks need to bring to to new opportunities. You know the ability to critically think, the you know being curious. Um, you know that 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 trusting yourself that you can learn. 
um, and that that trusting yourself that you can let yourself be vulnerable uh, enough to let other people know what you don't know so you can learn. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that a, a lot of people tend to work out of fear, fear of being exposed for, for not knowing something or fear of being exposed for not being as smart as, as you may think somebody thinks that you are. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to articulate that. It's that you can't really learn it in school, but it's, it's one of those kind of reinforced things that you learn through upbringing. If I had to, if I had to tell, if I had to figure out, you know, the best, the, the reasons why you are so good at, at what you did, it's probably more, you know, your upbringing than it was your education, just because, you know, you were, you had, you seemed like it was reinforced for you to, to be confident in your own kind of brain's ability to adapt. The, the ability to, you know, sort of get things done is more important than anything else, right? And so um, if, if you're taught from an early age that you can do anything, right, then certainly that's helpful. Um, you know, I, I think, um, but yeah, but, but I, I'm not sure, right? I'm not sure what exactly uh, caused me to, to feel that I could do it. Um, I, I, I honestly feel that anybody can, right? But, but ultimately, it's about, um, you know, having that belief that, that you can get it done or figure it out, um, but also not having the fear of failure, I guess. And, and that's really where, um, look, I, I mean, it's not that I don't have it or didn't have it. You always have it, right? It's just a matter of, you know, can you live well with it? or not? Um, can you live with the pressure or not? Um, I, I guess I can. Um, so, yeah, but, but I, I, look, I think, you know, broadly speaking, people, um, I, I think, just need to feel comfortable accepting challenges, right? And, and you know, um, you know, knowing that, you know, they, they haven't sort of done whatever they're about to do before is okay, right? That's, a, that's actually a good thing. That's progress. And um, you should be making progress. So, um, you know, I don't think people should be afraid to sort of get involved, um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it isn't something that's, that's terribly, um, like, super complicated, right? I don't think. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces, but um, anyway. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. So in the current uh, state of the affairs that we are in right now, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you're seeing? What are the barriers as in Tales Your Technology and what you are doing, particularly with OpenIX? So, yeah, I mean, I think right now, you know, I'm, I'm more you know, broadly focused on digital infrastructure, right? So let's just call it the you know, fiber uh, tower data center complex. Um, and, you know, from, from sort of that standpoint, you know, broadly speaking, there are tailwinds, right? It's, a, it's not a bad time to be in this business, right? Whether you're selling Great internet. Time to be in this business. Yeah, I mean, of course, you try to understate it a little bit, right? You try to, um, just because everybody else is not doing well, right? But it's, um, it, 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 look, it, it's, it's 
all of these are interesting asset classes and are getting a lot more attention. So, um, you know, it doesn't mean they're all good investments, though, and it doesn't mean that every single pocket is growing. So there are definitely areas of the data center market that are not growing. Um, there are definitely areas of the data center market that are growing enough to overcompensate for areas that are not growing. There are areas of fiber that are growing. There are areas that are not, right? So it's, it, it's really nuanced, right? And, and so, but, but broadly speaking, I think um, things are good and there's a lot of opportunity. So the, the trick from, you know, my perspective is, is sort of identifying opportunities where, you know, I believe you're not going to have a ridiculous competition because um, at this point, certain types of deals, there's just no point. Like as an entrepreneur, there's nothing for you to do. It's, um, you know, the finance game and these are like very good numbers and there's just not a lot uh, of value to create. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at other opportunities and along this uh, spectrum, you know, call it like a private network or something like that, um, you know, or a data center, um, you know, in a non-core market that doesn't have interconnect yet um, or a fiber route that's required, right? These are all interesting assets uh, that, that, you know, need investment and you can get a return on them. Um, and if they're, you know, decent, you can multi-tenant them, um, then it becomes, you know, really sort of an interesting, um, you know, group or, or sort of set of assets. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited about where we are, right, at the moment. I think there's a lot of, you know, opportunity to, to do deals. Um, you know, the challenges are, are really um, avoiding those areas that aren't growing, avoiding those um, you know, those situations that are overbid, right, where people want it so badly, they're willing to pay ridiculous prices, and there's just no yield, there's no return. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the sort of the biggest challenges at the moment, and, you know, uh, with the context of the, the opportunities. Is there a specific thing, is there a specific thing that surprises you or, or stands out to you as an opportunity given, you know, I can't imagine you would, you predicted a, a pandemic uh, five months ago, right? So, you know, we find ourselves in this, in this new world. Well, maybe you did, but most right. people didn't. Um, we find ourselves in this new world. Um, and is there, is there an opportunity that you might not have seen five months ago that you think is, is, is more acute now, if you want to share it? I know you don't want to give away your secret sauce. No, I do think so. I, I so um, and some things that I'm kind of working on, and um, uh, you know, but but I think sort of the bandwidth uh, bottlenecks throughout, right, uh, have been exposed, and a lot of them are at the um, the edge of the networks, you know, the consumer facing edge of the network, where you know they're just the pipes weren't big enough, and um, you know, people just need more bandwidth if they're going to work and consume rich data and the kids are going to consume rich data and it's all going to happen from home now. Um, you know, there's there's different different infrastructure that's required. So I think there's some, you know, specific builds that, that are, um, you know, uh, that I think will be available, right, or that, that will be required. Are they actually already happening, right? There, there are communities that are requiring them. 
Um, and then, um, you know, I think there's some opportunities, you know, in regional data centers. I think that uh, regional data set, data centers um, are going to continue to struggle, but in pockets, they'll do well. So it, it really, you have to be careful about picking your assets there. Um, but there's some opportunities. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, private networks is something that I've been spending some time on and I think is really interesting. Um, so the concept is basically building a 5G network um, for, you know, an enterprise or a community. Um, and, you know, ultimately that becomes the 5G network or the, the hardware that, that lives in that location. And then all the networks end up having to pay you for service that, that um, their consumers, right, so basically roaming, right? So you basically connect, co collect on roaming. Now, there's a lot of assumptions in that in terms of, like, the open radio access network and, and all of these things. Um, but if you can make um, numbers work on the network itself, on a private network, say, like a CPRS network, um, you know, then potentially there's some component of that infrastructure that you can multi-tenant, even if it's not the uh, the RAN. But um, so, yeah, there's lots of stuff that's interesting. Um, but again, it's like specific areas. So, Eli, COVID-19 has basically grounded us all, flying a quarter million miles a year to now not being able to go to a grocery store. It's mind-boggling. The future really is digital transformation, whereby have the opportunity to work from anywhere and be at the beach if you if you choose to. Where do you think we are today and what's the future going to be like in the next two, three years? I personally believe we are stuck in COVID-19 for at least another year and a half, if not longer. And the mm -hmm. norm is do these video conferences. The norm is telepresence. The norm is the virtual reality that we are creating. Where do you think the technology is headed as far as the industry is concerned? What's next? This was interesting, this whole exercise. And I think you're right. It, it, people are going to largely stay put for the next period of time until there's a proven vaccine, I think. Um, or unless November 6th, we get a different president and it's all gone. Well, I, I don't know that, you know, I don't think the problems are solved, right? Like, I think the problems don't get solved until, like, in terms of moving around, like, nobody's going to feel comfortable moving around until uh, you know that somebody's not going to just, like, cough on you and you're dead, right? I mean, it's just, that's the reality. So with that, you know, business travel is going to be curtailed, and, and we're going to be doing more of this, right? And, and I think there's, you should expect that. I think eventually, um, through you know, testing or uh, a combination of testing and treatment, whatever it is, we're able to limit it and get it down to a, in a manageable, um, you know, way to live, right, where, where we can move around again. Um, but it's going to look different. And so, you know, I think air travel is going to look very different. I think you, you're going to want to see, you know, smaller compartments, right? A lot of these vertical takeoff um, you know, short distance flights. I think the airline industry is going to get totally upended. Um, and, and so, look, there, there's a lot of stuff um, that's changing. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, all positive, broadly speaking, for technology, because all of this is 
all of the changes are fueled by technology. And so, um, you know, now the other thing is stimulus, right? And, and um, because of COVID-19, I believe we're going to get well, we've already seen a ridiculous amount of stimulus, but you're going to see more and potentially targeted um, at digital infrastructure and, you know, underserved uh, areas to bridge the digital divide and, um, you know, getting ahead of China in the 5G race. There's all kinds of uh, political uh, initiatives to do this. Um, and so I think that you're going to see, you know, investment there as well. Um, so I think just generally speaking, it's, you know, a, a period of growth um, for digital infrastructure and technology, um, not exactly everywhere, right? So you can't just like close your eyes, um, but, you know, generally speaking, it's the, the trend is certainly up and to the right. What are those, some of those areas, like you mentioned, like you mentioned 5G and you mentioned edge computing. What are some of the other areas as an entrepreneur and as somebody that's been in the industry and are contributing and sitting on the board for our chair, being chair of the OpenIX, what are some of those other areas that our listeners to, should potentially look into or at least start exploring? Um. So, yeah, I, I mean, I do think that, you know, like I said, I think private networks are interesting. Um, I think, um, you know, the, the you know, generally speaking, you know, what we found is um, there's not a lot of knowledge about interconnection um, out there. So um, as we've talked, talked to folks who are building um private wireless networks, uh, often they're people who uh, deliver fixed wireless service, right? So it's um, um, yeah, somebody who basically has transport back to a data center and then um, you know, that transport leads to an antenna and they broadcast that internet signal, right? So it's a very simple um, uh, mobile internet. Um, but um, basically in that community, uh, there's very little understanding of, of how to procure internet and, and where to get it. So they basically, they're really good at the radios and the local side and getting the permitting and all that. But then when it comes to internet, they just like call up one vendor and they get 10 gigs and that's it. And it's sort of this black box and they could be in, you know, some rural, you know, Texas and getting their internet uh, out, you know, from, from Minnesota. Right, instead of Dallas, and that just makes no sense, right? So, um, you know, there, there's, I, I think, there's all kinds of bad routing that's happening, um, and you know that can be fixed, right, by um, more exchange points, but not only more exchange points, people knowing what to do with them. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 you know, encourage people to um, look into interconnection more and understand more about. Um, you know, where it is and where, you know, how it can help your, your network. Um, yeah. So with COVID-19, what's some of the big concerns that you have? Uh, how has that affected you personally, organizationally? Uh, and what are you guys doing differently? For one thing, he's in market, so some things are looking up. Yeah, no, no, but, but I think, 
we were in Manhattan for 45 days and didn't leave our apartment, right? Like literally did not leave the apartment. Um, so, you know, we, we take it very seriously. Certainly there were, you know, um, a number of people who passed away who I know and, you know, my doorman, you know, the guy who owns the diner, right. You know, um, people we know who, who we saw every day. Right. So, so it was real and we understood that. Um, so it certainly affected us personally um, in sort of a, you know, fear kind of way and sort of respect. Kind of way. I'm not going to mess around with the virus. Um, um, you know, that said, right. I'm, I'm, uh, a proponent of um, not not staying still, right, and, and figuring out how to adapt and move through it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been a shock for everybody, um, and so I think that, you know the, the the key now is how do we safely um, return to activity that's healthy for everybody, right? So. Um, you know, I'm worried about schools, right? I'm concerned with my kids and, and um, you know, how they're going to continue to learn and who's going to educate them. And it's still going to fall on my wife mostly, which is great because she's super smart and capable. But, um, you know, I think like she's got to be mom, right? And so all kinds of, you know, I think things to be very concerned about with, um, with COVID, uh, generally speaking, though, I'm also an optimist, and so I believe that, um, you know, we, we will figure out how to either, um, you know, work through it or, you know, get the vac- vaccines or wh- whatever is required. Uh, over time, we'll get there. And so, um, you know, I, I think that um, the, the key is sort of how long it's going to take and being comfortable and um, productive throughout. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, fortunately in our industry, there's stuff to do and, and things to work on. And, um, you know, uh, so so I feel lucky and, and fortunate to, to be doing this. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the other industries will come back and, um, or we'll be able to create more jobs for other people. So. Yeah, crazy times indeed. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. Um, we talked about this earlier. You're, you're a city guy, right? You grew up in, uh, you grew up in Philly. Uh, you live in Manhattan. Um, you know, the, the, um, there is no question that the landscape of the urban environment uh, has changed. And I have to imagine that it's changed you know, far beyond the time that we get to the point where there's a vaccine, you know, I think there was a statistic that, you know, 80% of restaurants that, that were closed are not going to reopen. Um, and, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know, retail stores, gyms, there were like three different, in my neighborhood uh, in Brooklyn, there were like three different, you know, punch, pedal, you know, spin class places that there's just no way those places yeah. are coming. They had just opened and there's just no right. way those places are coming back. What do you think the, the future of, um, you know, urban environments like New York City or Philadelphia or any of these larger cities, Chicago, et cetera, um, look like? Mm-hmm. Do you think there's, uh, you know, what what happens to all the commercial real estate, to a lot of those retail spaces that, you know, were, that, yeah. the, the, it was just through the stratosphere, you know, the the, the rental income and, and the tax base in those cities and, and whatnot. What, what happens? 
So I think there, there are a lot of really smart people thinking about this, right? And, and specifically thinking about it with respect to technology and, you know, fortunately in New York City, right? So um, I, I believe that in some ways um, you're going to make these things, this real estate accessible again, right? Because you had, well, to your point, you had these three businesses. The only businesses that could open there were multi, you know, were chains that had overhead to waste because who could ever afford, I, I mean, the numbers would probably never make sense, right? And so I think a lot of the New York real estate was predicated on, you know, sales numbers that, that you know, weren't achievable uh, for a lot of these restaurants. And so, um, you know, a lot of them were going out of business anyway, right? Which is why it was, they were on a, you know, whatever it is, on a caravan or whatever it is. They, they, they were going to go out of business at the uh, first, first sign of stress. Um, but there are a lot of businesses like that. And, and there, there is going to be a lot of empty space. So, look, there, there's a lot of, you know, I, I, I think opportunity to use these empty spaces um, and, you know, combine that with technology to create experiences, right? And so, um, and safe experiences. So, you know, again, we talked about that earlier, right? It, it, you, you have to be sensitive about privacy concerns, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I think you can create um, all kinds of new experiences with 5G, right? If you look at sort of immersive media or, um, you know, you know, you, you can start to imagine some of these, you've seen these really cool um, sort of uh, talks people do or, or videos where they'll show you like the store of a future where you can kind of walk in and visualize things and you don't have to, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to try it on. You can sort of visually, you, you can, um, you know, virtually do that. Um, you know, but, but I think there will be ways, uh, you know, that, that, you know, honestly, we haven't come up with yet, but, um, you know, to, to enrich those experiences. Um, and, you know, that's really, I think, where the cities are going to come back. And so um, it, it's going to be that you have to be there and, it, you know, you're going to have to eat the food, but also it's going to be, you know, somehow more. Um, I don't know what it means yet. But, but I, I recognize that, you know, it's going to have to change uh, in order to draw people back. Yeah. Well, and, and, I mean, it's a, and a part of the problem in a lot of these large cities, though, is uh, uh, these kind of, you know, intransigent landlords that have these expectations that, you know, they're going to have to get on board with, you know, making the spaces more accessible. Before COVID, you mm -hmm. know, you would see retail spaces, you would see commercial real estate uh, vacancies that were just, it was more worth it to the landlords to keep them open than, than to make a deal to, you know, to allow a, a small business to, to open up. And how do you get to the standpoint where you kind of recalibrate that? Um, it, it seems like it's going to take some pain to do it. Um, and I don't think people yeah. are going to line up to give those guys stimulus, right? So it's going to be you know, probably a tough time, a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, but they've been getting things like this whole thing now has been just kicking the can, right? So it's, it, 
everything that's been going on right now has basically been to make sure that these types of businesses stay open. These PPP loans are predicated on you maintaining employment, and those people have to stay employed through the end of the PPP loan, right? So, you know, it, it's all designed to sort of kick the can and not face the music here, which is that the world's changed. Nobody's shopping like this anymore. Nobody's coming to your restaurant for takeout. Nobody's, right, it, it's just... It's not coming back. And, and, so, some of those, and, but, and in some cases, some of those trends were starting even before. This was just kind of the straw that broke correct. the guys back, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and then you've got the, the, the landlord, you know, he's got the bank to deal with, right? So it's really, uh, that's where it ultimately lands, is, is on the bank's balance sheets. And, and that's why the government's so concerned about not letting that cascade. Because if you, if every single, you know, restaurant or whatever, or, you know, gym, you fill, fill in the blank, these are all anchor tenants, right? If all of your anchor tenants, every single commercial real estate portfolio is dead. Um, also, because they're all levered and cut up because of the CDOs. I think I've turned to Eli. He doesn't sound as optimistic as he once was. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's those, I, I think that's a very dangerous thing. I think we need to, as a country, be very focused on repurposing real estate, right? And, and making sure that, you know, the, you know, we can find uses for, um, you know, businesses and, you know, making sure people are employed too, right? I mean, I that's it, the thing, but it can't be all, the employee's job. It can't be the business's job. It can't, to a certain extent, even be the landlord's job. It's got to start at the top. So the banks have to be on board for this kind of reinvention because otherwise yeah. it's all these guys trying to keep the big bad banks or the big bad landlords at bay. And you see these stories yeah. about, you know, eviction moratoriums ending, I think, today or last Friday, um, you know, at the same time the PPP money has run out. The, you know, the, the, that, that period of time is over. The can kicking is now gone. The extra right. unemployment insurance is now gone. And now everyone is kind of fending for themselves while the bank is just you're kind of waiting for the house of cards to implode when in reality, they're the ones we're propping up. I don't, right, I don't know. right. It's just ridiculous. No, ridiculous. you're right. But, but it Let is the record show that Eli Shear said I was right. No, I think, I think it's, a, it's a ridiculous concept. Uh, but but ultimately, right? So so I think you need people to come to the table and and say, look, enough landlords, you know, need to say, look, this is what we need, right? This is the program on a national level that the banks can institute that would work. And I don't think we know what that is. You know, like is it some sort of relief period? Is it some sort of you know, I, I, we, we don't know because we don't know what the other end looks like and they can't model it. So right now, nobody even knows what to ask for. The banks would be willing. Uh, based on the modeling, I mean, we've got a lot of models to follow. I mean, we have the Great Depression that we can potentially look into. Yeah. Yeah. What, well, like what was so the, with the Great Depression? I mean, it was just like no economic activity. Is that kind of what happened? Nobody. I, I don't understand. I, you know, I'm not a student of history enough to to, to really have a, an informed discussion around this, um, or you know, comparing it to other times. But you know, I'm certainly a, a student of today's nonsense. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think I think, I the, I think I the solution. I think the solution. To the, I don't, I'm not a student of history either. I think the solution to the Great Depression was a world war. I actually think that's the only way you got out of it 
was to oh, inspire, like you had to I mean, right? So, you know, keep get, let's get going on World War Three. It's the only way out. The <laughs> working on it. Broken, the news is broken. Uh, like he's working I'm going to stay on the island. <laughs> <laughs> let's see, we have to start it while, while, while Nabil is still in uh, on the mainland. No, but but like you know, you could you could have like a look a big infrastructure spend would make sense, right? Our rail sucks, our highways suck, our internet, you know, could be better. So look, the the, the fixed line internet's not bad, right? It worked well for me in New York, to be honest. But in in a lot of areas, it didn't work well, right? That's the truth. Um, and so you know, but but most you know mostly it's good. The wireless internet needs to be improved. And so uh, if we're going to have, you know, a 5G future, which is going to house all these new applications and, and, you know, hopefully spawn a new era of development for... I think you have 30% of the people in Congress think that 5G caused COVID-19. I mean, how are these people going to help you invest in, like, broadening the 5G infrastructure? That's that's your future is infrastructure investment by the people that think it caused the problem in the first place. (laughs) <laughs> that's super disturbing i don't know i mean that's not in congress isn't that they that's not really in congress i I'm, saw that on the well, it's, it's a combination that, thereof right it's a leadership that's propagating like anything that that's going on right. in the world it's leadership that's propagate we propagate yeah and, and 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 guess what the people that are taking these actions and burning down the towers are the ones that are just followers. They don't know, oh my gosh, George told me, I believe in George. 5G is the root cause of coronavirus. 5G and Bill Gates. Yeah. <laughs> Those two yeah. guys. Um, right. Well, look, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel, you know, mo- mostly that's not what, you know, what people think. And I, I think said 30%. I didn't say 60%. 30%. We can still get it passed. But, but I think the... The concept is digital divide, right? The concept is um, rural America doesn't have the same speed internet and therefore isn't enjoying the same level of applications and you know all of these things. You know, the there's a there's a whole push for the um, um, like the smart farm, right? I don't know if you've seen that, um, but there's some really cool stuff that that people are doing. There's a company we work with. Um, who's put together a group called the Rural Cloud Initiative, which is base, basically bringing together a lot of these fixed wireless providers um, and, uh, you know, helping them deliver more efficient infrastructure. Um, and so, um, you know, that and they're putting together the showcase, which is uh, essentially the farm of the future. And it's, you know, all of these, like, there's nobody there, right? It's, it's all these connected um, devices. There's a drone, there's the you know, the tractor, all of these things that, that, you know, can be monitored and operated remotely. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, um, there's a lot of cool stuff uh, that, that's going to continue to happen around that. Uh, and, and nobody can oppose that, I don't think, right? Um, maybe they can. Now they find a way. Somebody would there's find a, will, a way. There's a way. There's a will, there's a way. People don't like change. People don't, they'll, they'll just, they'll try to make it great again. Sorry. Yeah, but it's like securing food supply. It's a lot of good things. Make 5G great. Oh, God. Eli, you've been in the industry for a few years. You know, one of the things that I continuously struggle with is the fact that 
and you don't need to be a historian or student of history, but it's, it's just common sense. At least that's the way I look at it. It's the fact that we have gone through these cycles. Like we went through the digital divide. We talk about it today. We've gone through this cycle before when we actually migrated from a 14.4K modem and got into a gig when we migrated from an analog cell phone and got into the digital platform and we've gone through 1G and now we're talking 4G, so and so forth. That's always been there. I believe mm-hmm. that the common denominator is us, mankind. It's the leadership. It's the lack of awareness and education. How do we get past that based on where you're at in your career? What are some of the things that we should be doing as for educating people, as for as, you know, potentially getting past this divide? What are some of those things that we should be doing? No doubt. Everything is done by people, right? So, um, I agree with you, right? This is all, you know, ultimately, as when I talk to you about my career, you know, meandering or whatever I was doing, right? I was, you know, getting closer to where people were making decisions, right? Where it was, you know, initially I started doing structured finance and it's like, this isn't really real. Uh, This is just numbers flying around. You know, ultimately now we're, we're, trying to deal with people and, and, and sort of even get down to like communities and, and, you know, see, see where those decisions are made. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, uh, you know, you, deals don't get done without people agreeing, right. Be, nothing happens without people coming together. Um, we've sought it out. So much. I mean, the the growth of this type of platform and and Zoom and all of these things is we're we're looking for that connection. I think, you know, we need to connect with more people. um, And and to you know, I think the mission of this podcast, right, is to reach out to 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 folks who um, don't know about this industry and and um, know that it you know might well uh, you know. help their life in some way or make their life more convenient, but they really don't understand. And so um, I think outreach and education is important uh, to continuing to make sure people are, are engaged and, and, um, uh, and able to deliver the progress, right? We are talking about, you know, 5g and, you know, new networks and all these things. Well, if you don't have engineers who actually know how to build these things, you're gonna you're gonna have a problem, right? Um, and so, you know, we need to continue to encourage that. Um, I think having sort of open frameworks where people share knowledge is great for that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I think you know, generally speaking, um, we've got to continue to to bring people in and, and educate uh, to make sure that we we can live the future that we want to live from a technology standpoint. You know, I, I, I always talk about this uh, issue for the reason, the inspire, the inspiration for this podcast in the first place, which is trying to bring, you know, younger people into this industry to make sure that they know that it exists because, you know, yeah. the, the people in the conference circuit, the thought leaders, if you will, to everyone out there, I'm using air quotes, the thought leaders like us are, um, are the ones that are aging um, and, and we're not being replaced by a younger generation. And I think in general, it's because because we were here when this industry essentially started, you know, over the last, let's say 20, 23, 25 years, 
Um, and that was really when we came into our own, when we became, you know, adults and, and came in. The folks before us, the, you know, the baby boomers and, and, and the older generation guys, you know, th think of the Internet still as this kind of inaccessible fad or, or, or whatever to a certain extent. You have a president that doesn't email because he doesn't really believe in it, um, although he searches for emails. It's strange. And then... You have um, the younger kids who take it for granted. It just works. You know, you have engineers coming out of school now that think computer infrastructure, internet infrastructure is whatever graphical interface they see at, at Amazon. And that's just, it just magically works. You have my kids that, you know, know how to use Zoom to a certain extent better than, you know, their parents. Um, not me, because I'm a freaking genius, but better than their parents in some cases. And they understand how it all works, but they don't understand why it works. And they're not really taught the underlying, like, why it works in school. Maybe, like, a small sliver of high school will get into some technology components. But I think that's, mm -hmm. that'll be my kind of final thought for the day, is, is that, that notion that the children are our future. But in reality, it's, it's making the underlying infrastructure, the why everything works, accessible to the older generation and the younger generation. And the reason why we are where we are is it because we had no choice but to figure out why it works because it was kind of created while we were coming into our own. I mean, to be fair, the kids are really good at Zoom. So like it, it's hard to argue with them. They're very, very good with the virtual backgrounds and all that. I love it. The no, effects, but, but I uh, think... FaceTime, my God, <laughs> can't take it. So good, so good. I had no idea how these features existed. It's crazy, right. you know? That's like when you randomly press buttons with the, you know, not knowing that you could delete everything or find something really cool, that's how you discover it. That's so true, but then when you're in the car and you go to a spot where you don't have internet, they freak out because they have no concept of why it works, like when it why works, it works. And, then, and then they're just like smacking it on the ground like Neanderthals trying to get it to work right. again. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. That, uh, so I, I try to make it very clear to my kids, you know, how you're getting it. You see that over there? That's a small cell. That's why you're getting this signal. You know, I try to make it clear to them because whenever there's any sort of outage, it's probably my fault, right? So, like, usually, <laughs> like, no matter what, it's like the Internet's down. It's like, Dad, what'd you do? I'm like, okay, I have nothing to do with the Internet in this location. You right? said I mean, you are the Internet, Dad. How come? Make yeah. it work. You work You work on this stuff? Can you call the guy? I mean, what's up, right? And and Daddy, amazing. make the phone call, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Call me. Call exactly. the Internet and make it work. Call the Internet. I know. I get it. I get it. But it's... Uh, no, I, I, look, it's, it is important to understand how it all works. And, and ultimately, you know, I think, uh, you know, and, and this is part of the broader thesis, um, you know, as people are building uh, applications that actually need to behave a certain way, right, they're going to try to, they're going to figure it out again. They're going to understand what latency means again. And they're going to understand, you know, as we build this new network, we're going to need it to have you know, this type of characteristics. But I think, you know, they're, they're going to be, I, I think they're going to come with the next wave. And I think part of the issue is, you know, you, you need that next wave to, to bring people in, right? Um, and I think it's happening, right? I think it, it's, you know, you're starting to feel some of that momentum. Um, and look, I think that, that once once you bring people in and they start to see, you know, that the, you know, the growth 
that is inherent in this market, um, you know, I, I think it's going to continue, right? You're going to have more and more people, um, you know, expressing interest. They may not know what's underneath all of the, uh, the software that they're writing, um, but they're going to have to get, you know, somebody's going to have to know. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, right? Well, we have to, we have to continue to make noise and, um, and make people aware, um, you know, but, but ultimately, you know, if they want things to work the way they want them to work, um, you know, the power has to be on. We are at the final part of the podcast recording. What are some of your thoughts and the secret sauce that you could potentially share with our listeners? There's no real secret. I, I think everybody will tell you the same thing. Um, consistency um, and, you know, sort of um, never taking no for an answer, I guess, right? So consistency and persistence. Um uh, I think those are the key characteristics. And so um, put in the work every day, right? That's the consistency thing and never give up. So, uh, you know, if you do those two things, you'll be successful. And uh, it's all kinds of great quotes, you know, you never lose if you never stop playing, right? All kinds of great ways to say this, but the, the basic uh, principles that I've found uh, that have led me to be successful in the few times that I have been, have been, you know, because I put in the work and not cut corners, right, every single day. Um, and, you know, because I've been stubborn and said this is exactly how it is because I'm certain of it and I will maintain that forever. And, uh, you know, it turns out you don't have to maintain it forever. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, you just have long to be ready. To get a deal, just, just long enough to get the deal closed. <laughs> no, look, I mean, but, but you have to be ready to. And so I think that's important. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on. And we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.